everyone. You're listening to DMZ America, the podcast. It is Monday, November 15th, 2021. And I'm Ted Rawl coming to you from the left. And I'm Scott Stannis coming to you from the right. I love DMZ, the podcast. Is it going to be DMZ, the movie? <laughs> hey, well, it's kind of like those, uh, it's like those real estate developments, you know, like Guantanamo at the Bay or whatever. <laughs> Or like Hitler, a life. Like, did he have more than one? Wasn't one wasn't enough? <laughs> so we we were talking before we went on. You apparently had a rough night. You want to tell us about it? Yeah. So uh, it, that's it sounds more interesting than it was. So long story short. Uh, well, actually, it's a short story short. Um, <laughs> I had in middle. Uh, my, I totally have like puffy eyes and uh, runny nose like crazy. And it occurred to me, and I had like these weird aches, and I was like, uh-oh, possible oh, no. breakthrough COVID-19 infection. I'm, for the record here, quadruple vaccinated. It's true. Um, I walked into a CBS and got my third and fourth rounds of, of, uh, of uh, the Pfizer vaccine uh, about a month, and, a, a month and, a, and two months ago, respectively. And uh, so anyway, after the recording of the podcast, I'm going to go over uh, here in Manhattan over to one of those uh, testing center tents and uh, try to get rapid tested. Uh, according to the CDC uh, website, um, uh, every, these are kind of very, I, I sort of tick off all the typical mild breakthrough cases like, of covid like what and, how besides this the um, so like aches slight headache uh slight achy slight slight fever uh you know and and of and a, and a sort of significant runny nose it's i mean of course it could just be a cold but uh or allergies i mean things are things i are don't think it's allergies right. though because um i mean it could be a cold because the temperature here in new york just dropped it's been unseasonably hot for uh you know basically until a couple of days ago and then i guess it was on sunday when the temperature or saturday the temperature dropped from 65 to 38 in one day and so you know when you have those kind of rapid uh temperature drops you can also you know get a cold or you're, you're run down your immune system. So I don't know. Can I, uh, you know, can I ask you know. a crazy, can I ask you a crazy question? I mean, I brought this up years ago and got really shouted down and now it's getting more traction. Um, and I know we have other subjects we're going to talk about, but this is a big one. I think it's, I, I, I I'll tell you what I feel think about it in a second, but do you think COVID was man-made or oh, organic? You mean like the, the, what did it escape from a lab in Wuhan, for example, yeah. as one yeah. theory? Yeah. Um, I don't. The short answer is I have no fucking idea. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, it's a, like I, I'm not a look. I mean, I, they threw me out of engineering school and biology was always my weakest subject. Oh, really? So, okay. yeah, I could never remember the like, you know, why I should care about what the knee of, an al- <laughs> of, a, of a grasshopper is called, you know, just in case like one attacks me with its knee or something. I could identify it to the insect police. When the locusts descend, descend on New York City, you're going to be sorry you didn't take that more seriously. Ted. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, be one of my many regrets. I, I thought about it. I floated the idea many a couple of years ago because I'd had the flu. I mean, I, I mean I've, I'm, you know, I'm 62 years old. I've had the flu. This is nothing like, and in fact, we're talking again, I'll bring this up to the audience is that I'm still having long haul a year after having the damn thing, I'm still having long hauler uh, symptoms. And it tells me that this is something, if it's organic, it was, I mean, those dead, bad, dead, bad. Well, just because something is like kicks your ass in a brand new way. doesn't mean it's not organic. A, I mean, Ebola was, was clearly organic and, or Spanish flu. I, I've been, you know, like everyone else, I ran out to buy a book about Spanish flu when the pandemic yeah. started. Uh, Pale Rider is the one that I bought. Um, and, you know, the, the symptoms are fucking crazy for Spanish flu or were, it doesn't exist anymore, but it, it, it mutated actually interestingly into what we now view, think of as the, uh, 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 poultry flu, what the, the chicken, you know what I'm talking about. The, avian, uh, avian flu. Avian yeah. flu, yeah, in the late 50s. That, so what we now think of as avian flu is the former swine flu. Right, and you can look at the, like, the, you know, the Black Plague, you can look at other diseases, but this one, this one's different. This one, I, I, I don't know. I'm convinced now, and it's talking to other friends um, who are much smarter and more, have one is a scientist and the other one is a, uh, has done extensive work in China. And both of them were like, yeah, this is totally could have gotten out 
Well, no, I think it's certainly certainly possible. And anybody who just dismisses that out of hand is unscientific. I mean, you know. Well, and the fact that we can't prove now, and the Chinese, of course, have locked down their Wuhan. As as we would do if it was our facility, you know. No, we would just lie. Oh, right. There's that. American, yeah, American. (laughs) We would go through the trouble of locking something down. There's biological warfare facilities all over the United States. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. Remember, um, I can remember in the 70s when it turned out that the FBI and CIA were messing around with that stuff. I mean, you know, it was just frightening. There's a crazy one in in Central Asia. Uh, There's an island that's in the middle of the Aral Sea between Uzbek, which is, you know, borders Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan. And it starts with, I think, a Z, and they call it like Z Island. But anyway, it's got this long Russian name. Anyway, it, they did all sorts of crazy biological experiments uh, that, during the Cold War. And anthrax spores are in the soil. And so now with the Aral Sea um, d- dropping, now there's a land bridge between the island and the, um, because, you know, it was a good location. I mean, like Plum Island off the coast of Long Island was a U.S. biological warfare facility. And at least with rising waters, it's, uh, you know, still there and it's not going to link up. But there was always a huge concern that an- that rats or other animals were going to carry anthrax spores from the uh, island and over into Central Asia proper, which could happen. Super. <laughs> <laughs> Well, on happier news, <laughs> yes, yes. we have, as we're recording this on, on Monday, it is uh, Monday, November 15th. 15th. Yes. Uh, the uh, final arguments are being spouted at the Kyle Rittenhouse trial up in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, the, so that we should have, we're probably going to have a verdict by the end of the week, I suspect. But I mean, that whole case, I mean. I th- it sounds like you and I may actually have a bit of a different of opinion on this. And weirdly, I think the guy is a, uh, is a low life and he went, he went a hunting as we like to say down here in Alabama and um, how they're, go- how they're going to explain this. I mean, here's what's weird to me, Ted, and you jump in whenever you want is that the context of this, of, of what Rittenhouse did was not specific to that moment, but rather to our culture which is the argument is, well, he had no right to be there with it. And he says, well, then that could extend to the protesters who had no right to be there. He had a right or, to- or anyone had a right. And who has a right to be anywhere? You know, I mean, exactly. Well, and we obviously have a right to be anywhere we want as long as it's not private property. Um, he was carrying a gun. How dare. Oh, yes, it was. It was bought for him illegally. And he was but he was still carrying. And there are others there who were legally carrying guns. It was. Up until and, the time he pulls, and the there truth. is some, and there is uh, certainly an arg- a legal argument that under Wisconsin law, uh, he was allowed to carry a gun at the age of seventeen. Um, question: So I think we should like sort of for people who haven't been following this case, because the thing is, Scott, this is a siloed case. Um, Right wing media has been carrying it uh, extensively, and Kyle Rittenhouse is a uh, is seriously considered a uh, a hero on the right, and on the left. It's being covered far less, uh, probably because the trial is not going very well for the prosecution. It's really not. And um, and also, uh, and to the extent that it comes up, my friends will say like, huh, how, that Kyle Rittenhouse trial, huh? And then the subject changes because really? it's, it's uncomfortable. Really? Um, oh, okay. Yeah, because huh. I mean, the narrative initially was that he was a white supremacist uh, asshole who basically went up to kill black people. Uh, and uh, during the Black Lives Matters protests during the summer of 2020 in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And, you know, now uh, there's really no evidence that he was a white supremacist. And certainly it's also not, I don't think it's really pertinent, but he he has, his father lives in Kenosha. He has family in Kenosha. He has ties to Kenosha. He had plenty of reason to go to Kenosha. And now the narrative, at least from the defense team, is that he went up there to help defend his hometown and its its business owners from looting and vandalism, um, so he went yeah. up there with an, I think an AR-15, right? Yeah. Oh, well, who? Yeah, it's a lot what, of gun. What seventeen-year-old boy doesn't dream of? Oh, oh can't get you. That'll take your eye out, kid. Having fired one, that's a lot of gun. Yeah, it is. They're really cool. I'm sorry. They're amazing. It's it's an amazing gun. It's way too much gun for. Uh, self-defense in in the united states it's a it is military hardware it is not needed unless you're planning to uh you know take a hill let's just say 
Have you ever been, by the way, just a side issue. Have you ever been to Kenosha, Wisconsin? Uh, it was a long time ago. I was a little kid. So effectively, no. Uh, my father, um, my father's sister lived in Wapaka. And uh, oh, okay. so like definitely we went, I, I don't know, probably had a, probably ate at a now defunct diner or something. Why? It is a, just a delightful, charming. There's a They had the Kenosha uh, Festival of Cartooning up there. Oh yeah, which okay. I, I guess my invitation keeps getting lost in the mail. To that. you can show up any, you could show up anytime you wanted to. Yeah, just like Kyle Rittenhouse. <laughs> yeah, show up with your AK. However, I'm like a vampire. I have to be invited. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, 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 the um, Hambrocks. Uh, John does the comic strip, "The Brilliant Mind of Edison Lee." Uh, so we would go up there for weekends just to, and it's just a, it's, what's weird is all this crap going down in Kenosha and Kenosha is just this charming little Midwestern town on Lake Michigan. I mean, it's so weird, Ted, that this is all this shit's coming well, down. That is and, strange. And I guess, well, obviously there's nothing going down there anymore. Right. I mean, the black lives matters movement is effectively done. Well, no, what happened is they had an AMC plant there that closed down many years ago and that killed the town. That's what, and now it's just a, now well, it's that's just not, a, that's not the, that's not the Rawl family's fault, by the way, because my mom did invest in an AMC spirit, which was <laughs> the brownest car ever made. Oh, God. When was this? Uh, my mom always had a fine, had always had an amazing record of automobile ownership. Uh, her first car was the Dauphine. <laughs> Uh, the Renault <laughs> Dauphine. I used to, I, wait. I kidding? swear to God. No, I'm not kidding at all. You never joke about the Dauphine. It literally, <laughs> she bought it new. It lasted eight months before it was, you know, considered terminally dead. Her next car was <laughs> the, uh, I believe it was a Renault, Renault 5, which, sorry, a Renault 11, which was a well, pretty staying, good car. Staying within the Franco, you know, Correct, out of loyalty. Inexplicably, Dayton had a Renault dealership inexplicably um and then uh there was a and then i think then she went for the le car if you remember that oh my god and then and then that then the amc spirit which by the way she was like ah why go crazy and get fm radio like a like a lunatic like am's good enough for us and uh yeah she, it was like i was like i drove a better car than my mom i drove a 74 nova with a custom v8 engine it was awesome i missed that car i would drive that car now it had bench seats oh god v8 engine How i miss i miss bench seats a lot oh when you're yes seats. dating in high school they 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 came they, in handy yeah they yeah. did indeed no pun intended having dating in wisconsin but even just for, I just like it. Bench seats are nice. Um, there's a lot of convenience. I mean, you know, first of all, you don't have that thing where, you know, all of your quarters and your change and your phone like drop between the seats. You yeah. Know, it just sits there next to you, like the way God intended. Um, <laughs> all right, let's get back to Kyle Rittenhouse. So, so, so Kenosha, I'm just saying that what's weird about all of this story to me is that I've spent some time in Kenosha. Like this, like the town very much. It's now just a, a commuter feeder to Chicago. Gotcha. It's How far is it outside of Chicago? It's about an hour and 10 minute train ride. If that's of any okay. help. And there is a train. Is oh it, yeah. Is, that's the end of the like line. Light rail. The, yeah. So Metro goes up there. So you grab the, that and take into downtown Chicago. So, and there's a lot of people. That's what's kind of saved Kenosha. I see. It's relative. I mean, you can. And get to according Milwaukee. to, and so what I've read, there's been some uh, an interesting. I read some interesting stuff. I mean, liberals have have pointed out the composition of the jury. Um, I guess it's eleven whites, but um, uh, but the the popul but it's a white town. The population's ninety percent white. So is it nine? I don't, I don't. Is it that high? That's what I, I, I looked town. it up. Mm -hmm. And the population of the so it's like well the jury's ninety percent. It seems like it's proportional to the town but you could certainly see why it's a concern but you know I mean, well, plus whatever. the judge is a wackadoodle I mean, yeah the judge is kind of like uh you know not since the oj trial and lance ito have oh, we God. seen such a fine case of or perhaps since uh, any number of my la times cases um uh, judges man they were awesome uh yeah being a judge used to you know in your mind's eye it was always like they're you know they're well educated they were the top of their class at hey yale and harvard yeah and yeah. no not so much Usually my lawyer you know what my lawyer told me uh, he was he's like so you know what you call a, a c minus student in law school hmm. 
your honor. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, yeah. No, judges are a bunch of, uh, I mean, for the most part, a bunch of dipshit, like loser assholes, but um, there's exceptions, but that's kind of the norm. And uh, anyway, so written, so written house. Um, look, what do you think? I think here's the question. What do we, th- what's going to happen? And what's going to happen in, you know, in terms of the verdict and what will be the react, the political reaction? I think they're going to find him guilty on much lesser charges. I mean, like way down, they gave him I a agree. whole menu of charges. They're going to, and, but the bigger ones they're going to get away with. Um, because there's, there's some, there's enough reasonable, tra- uh, enough reasonable doubt, you know, I mean, it's just, well, yeah. Did he go up there? Did he, as I said at the top of the segment, did he go a hunting? And um, well, both and both victims were kind of like, uh, have let's just say have like criminal records, are psychotic. One well, guy and, was bipolar. Yeah, and the um, the guy, the third guy who was uh, now all of this is tragic. I want to be clear on that. But the the third guy who was shot and paralyzed on the stand said he pulled a gun. He was pointing a gun at him. He said inadvertently. I go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, of course, the other thing is like. Uh, at this point, it's like, well, who's wrong, right? I mean, a 17-year-old kid points an AR-15 at you. You might, this might be a time when you'd really want to own a gun, you know? Well, and if this, if, and he'd already discharged it, allegedly. So, um, you know, you're thinking, okay, this guy's on a killing spree now. I mean, um, and you can see the kid is just this, you know, it's kind of a sad, pudgy, yeah, you know, loser kid. And I'm just, um, you know, I, I so... My well, take has always been that he like Joy Reid apparently like mocked the shit out of him on MSNBC for crying and said it was all like crocodile tears. I can't. You know what? That to me is bullshit. That to me, when media types do that, I mean, they don't you, know can't, that. you don't. You can't. You're not inside his head. It's also not likely that an 18 year old is going to be. He's 18 now would be, you know, would be able to plan that out. You know, yeah, not just, well, you could. Oh, yeah, you could. Are you kidding? How many times has your kid tried to use to, tears to sway Never. you? Never. All oh, right. You have, but you have, but his dad has a hard heart. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> cold, cold like Russian granite. <laughs> like long Russian winter. Um, anyway, so how's this going to come out? That's my prediction. Um, my thought still remains that he went up there. He was going to be a hero. He, he, I think there's, Correct me if I'm wrong. There's evidence that he do, did peruse sites that were conservative sites that were like, you know, all these evil people are going to come and protest. They're going to loot. And, you know, let's face it, you know, uh, looting is not the best expression, although this is where you and I really disagree. No, I'm, um, not, I'm not in favor of looting. You know, there's a lot of critique on the uh, among Marxists of looting uh, for a variety of reasons. And the main one is, you know, you're just look if you're involved, a riot is not an expression of revolutionary fury. An expression of revolutionary fury is hanging Mussolini from a gas station sign. You know, express. You, you should attack. You know, government offices. Like, okay, when they burned the police station um, to the ground, uh, where was that? I forget where that was, but um, was that in Maryland or something? Oh gosh. Um, Oh, no, but anyway, no. um, when a when a police be tests here during during the BLM protests, uh, a police station burned to the ground. I think it was technically an, a former police station that still had a bunch of files and offices. And it. that's an expression of revolutionary rage because it's an attack on the state and its agents. You know, you burn a bank. That's an expression of revolutionary rage. But when you're attacking mom and pop businesses, um, you know, your, your people's homes, private homes, I mean, you're attacking the masses. You're attacking the bourgeoisie. You're not. So I don't think it's 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 a bad tactic, but people like me tend to sort of turn a blind eye to it because we're like, well, you know, what do you want? To, what are you going to do? It is what it is. People are are furious. They they're going to riot where they are. They're you know they they're seeing red. They're not going to you know like hey uh, uh, Joffrey, let's go and carefully plan out all. Uh, our, our gasoline bomb attack on the bank, you know, like not here. I mean, that's not going to happen. So it's so, you know, it is. It, what are you going to do? It's a, it's a fucking riot. A riot isn't a revolution. A riot can lead to a revolution, but it isn't a revolution. Thank you. 
revolution <laughs> revolutionary pointers from ted Rawl. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway no i don't agree with balloon uh just for the record here. so what do you think's happening with uh so what, uh, let's throw out some predictions and then move on well i think yeah i agree with you scott uh scott i got to give you this completely you're you're right i think it's gonna um it's gonna play out that way um he the lesser charges, especially because the judges came down with a ruling that said that opened up that possibility. Uh, but it's entirely possible that the kid will walk. Um, that could happen too. I, I don't think the prosecution has has proven its case. So then no. the question is, will there be violent reactions? Will there be political protests? I mean, will it matter? Well, more to, more to the point, Ted, let me ask you this. Should there be violent reaction to this? I don't think so. Um, I don't, uh, even though the judge is a dipshit, I think it's one of those things where it's the correct verdict. Uh, you know, I mean, what you, you can't just like say, okay, so he's a snotty white kid, um, you know, the, who, who did, who went looking for trouble, which, Hey, I was a snotty white kid, 17 years old. I went looking for trouble all the fucking time when I was his age, my girlfriend and I at the time were that age driving through the slums in Toledo, Ohio, of all places. And we slowed down to make fun of a pimp who looked like something out of like Starsky and Hutch. And the guy shot at my car. I oh. I had a couple of bullet holes as a memento. Did I have that coming? Yes, I did. So, <laughs> so, so the point is like, you know, looking for trouble at 17 is kind of like goes with being 17. So uh, yeah, I don't think anything should happen, but I wouldn't be, and I don't, I don't really think a lot will happen. I think there will be some protests, but this isn't not, this is not like a cop getting away with murder. It's just not. Okay. So, um, we're going to wrap things up here. And when we come back, we're going to talk, I, I have this, Ted, I have a dossier here that, um, Nigerian Prince sold to me. <laughs> I think it's a big story. I think we're going to need to talk about it. Excellent. All right. So we'll let's back. Uh, Dan's All right, the America podcast after the little bumper music. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. I'm Ted Rall here with Scott Stantis. And now we're going to move on to the Steele dossier. But before we do, a little bit of breaking news, although when you're listening to a recorded podcast, I'm not really sure that it's relevant. <laughs> but Steve Bannon has just surrendered. Uh, to uh, in response to his arrest warrant. So I was hoping that. for a shootout. Damn it. <laughs> it would be cool. You'll never take me alive. Copies, dirty screws. That'd be awesome. That'd be, no, that would be like, you know, like it would be the way that, um, you know, the comment I heard uh, from an Iraqi woman on television when she was watching Saddam Hussein be hung. And she said, I always hated the son of a bitch, but he died like a lion, which he did actually. Uh, Wasn't he yelling something when they opened the He was basically door? like, fuck you all. You, you suck. And he was making fun of them. He's like, you know, I mean, he was, he was, fuck, he went out gangster style. It was awesome. But he still went out. Well, we all do. Okay. So getting, so steel right. dossier. So um, <laughs> if you've been under a rock for the last five years, or you're a registered Democrat, um, you may be unaware of the fact that there is something called the Steele dossier. So during the 2016 presidential campaign, uh, former British spy and now freelance um, sort of um, gumshoe consultant, Michael Steele, uh, uh, sold, basically was hired by a Democratic DNC oriented um, super PAC called a consulting firm called uh, Fusion GPS to gather dirt, oppo research, as they say in the business, against uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and the, the assignment, I think, as in Seal's defense, as he saw it, was not to not to develop sort of an actual like series of things that Trump actually for sure did, but more just to sort of gather a bunch of dirt, put it all together in one place sort of so that uh, the Clinton campaign could then take it from there, decide what, if anything, they wanted to like dig into and, and verify and then possibly use against Trump during the campaign. But it went well beyond that intention. And uh, basically, the dossier relied on a lot, turns out, basically 100% hearsay, uh, things that were completely made up wholesale. The sourcing was this Russian guy who 
is recently was arrested for lying to the uh, to the FBI, and the way it all kind of played out during the campaign, and uh, it became the origin of what we now can call the Russia Gate story. Uh, and that idea, which has been all over the media, it was on SNL, you know, uh, with Putin, the guy who plays Putin always like not wearing a shirt. Um, but basically, it's been an article of faith among many Americans, uh, most Democrats, maybe some Republicans, that Russia had a role in helping Donald Trump win the 2016 election. And the Steele dossier was the absolute center of that. The turns out that uh, the that the uh, dossier was completely made up. This is where the idea of the uh, P tape supposedly existed, compromat, wow. Russian compromat, uh, totally made up. That never rung true to me because it just didn't. You know, Donald Trump is a known germaphobe. Uh, you know, the idea that he would hire prostitutes to piss on a hotel bed while he watched, just like that's just not Donald Trump. Um, Donald Trump is not like sex, but he's not motivated by sex. He's motivated by power and ego. And it just didn't just didn't didn't ring true. But anyway, the, the point is that um, How does a germaphobe have sex, by the way. I, I never quite understood. Good question. Seems yeah. to be a disconnect. But go After on. After showering. So, yeah, I guess he doesn't believe in the Woody Allen line is sex dirty only if it's done right. But <laughs> he um, yeah. So the, the, the dossier is has so the here so basically the Clinton campaign financed and um, uh, basically um, had the dossier uh, put together, and then the Clinton campaign said, "Oh my God, look at this dossier that we just discovered," and turned it over to the FBI, which then dutifully uh, decided to investigate it, and the FBI got really pissed off when they discovered that they had been played. And so now the DOJ is investigating. There's been two arrests, more probably forthcoming and uh, top. And, you know, it, it seems that they they are targeting the Clinton campaign. Uh, I doubt it will ever, ever go to all the way to Chappaqua, but it will definitely, uh, you know, I think there will be more arrests. And the media is, uh, has a mixed, has basically been very reluctant to walk this back. Yeah. Uh, ben yeah. Smith, currently a columnist at the New York Times, former uh, and uh, full disclosure, someone who I once approached for a job while he was uh, editor at BuzzFeed. Um, he uh, wrote he he published the dossier in its entirety. He's not taking it down. Um, yeah, explain BuzzFeed. that. Uh, I mean, this is. The I don't even know if he still has the if he's still technically the editor at BuzzFeed or even had, can make that decision. The New York Times has certainly hardly covered the story. Uh, clearly has no intention of of retracting. Uh, Eric Wemple uh, at the Washington Post has probably done the most yeoman's work in terms of urging a retraction or a correction, even though he still says, "Well, this doesn't mean that Russia and didn't collude with Trump." It kind of does, but okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah. but basically, and then the rest of the media took their cues from those two organizations, those three organizations. So, yeah. So it's a media story now, right? I mean, it's yeah, kind of like, don't... well, what do you do when you find out that this thing has been completely discredited? I mean, what do you do? I always made it. I mean, you had ombudsmen at newspapers. You know, I worked at them for 40 years and they would make correct, mild corrections. You know, we mentioned yesterday, we said that, you know, Joe Smith was a dirty, filthy pedophile. He's actually just a pedophile. <laughs> um, you know, so it'd be little changes, like little grammatical, grammatical you know, tweaks, right? But this is this is huge. And we're our next segment is going to be about anti-slap of which it's a my, fucking my huge scandal. It's one of the biggest political scandals in American history. I mean, but doesn't this smell well, and or it should be? Doesn't it smell and taste like the George uh, W. Bush let, let, that Dan Rather and CBS News held up as, you know, if you for those of you who don't remember in the 2000 campaign, this letter I'm doing air quotes here came forward that was allegedly written saying that, you know, let young George skate on uh, serving in the Vietnam War. And even, you know, I'm not I'm a cartoonist and even I could tell it was a fake letter. I mean, it just God, we're going to we're going to disagree about this. That letter 
I mean, Dan Rather lost his job over that letter, right? Because it was uh, fake. A conservative blogger asserted that it was fake because he claimed that the uh, IBM Selectric element that was yeah. used to uh, to type the letter did not exist at the time in the, that that uh, Bush entered the Texas Air National Guard. But that let's just say that there's considerable evidence that actually that element really did exist at that time. And so the debunking has been kind of debunked, I think, but I I'll do another look. It's been years since I looked at this. Take another look at the letter is clearly printed on a computer clearly. And obviously the second you see it, you go, yeah, that's bad. You can, you can sort of tell because like typewriters didn't have straight lines. Right. You know what I mean? Right. There's no, none of the, um, yeah, the, 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 there's a little variation. Yeah. Yeah, no, Although IBM Selectrics were the best machine you could buy at the time, they were pretty good. But a good. lot of people, but a lot of folks to this day still think that that was true. And it's not. It was debunked by just about everybody uh, involved well, in the story. Yeah, so without going for, down that particular rabbit hole, let's, but we know. So the point my, is, my point is, my point yeah. is that they dealt with and they're spinning it the same way they're spinning the dossier story. BuzzFeed is refusing to take their the first ones to publish the entire dossier. They refuse to take it down, even though that the that the the source, even though it's the Hitler diaries of 2021. Oh, my God. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, so when you have stuff like this and the press is absolute is absolutely reluctant to take things down. I mean, we get wrapped up in these. I'm not sure that they should take it down because i think it's still like at this point even the hitler diaries like you can leave it up but you can be like it's like the protocols of the elders of zion here's this fake piece of shit i don't think you have to necessarily take it down like smith comes out of the internet ethos information wants to be small f free like we want to see things i'm okay with that but it should be labeled as here's this fake piece of shit. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. I, you know, that's a happy compromise. We can all, all agree on, but they're not doing that and they won't do this. And this and they plays should, into- look, they, they, I, I have to say, I keep coming back in cases like this. Like I thought about, you know, obviously defamation and libel a lot when I was uh, suing the LA times and um, you know, in Europe, they have a really interesting law. If a newspaper or magazine is deemed to have uh, libeled or defamed a person, um, the retraction has to be of equal or greater prominence as the original coverage. So, in other words, like, you know, they can't run you, they can't run the, the retract, they can't like have call you the pedophile on page one and run the retraction on page 16. They can't let call you a pedophile over the course of 7,000 words and then retract that in 10 words. They have, it has to be, they can't call you a pedophile on the Sunday edition and then retract in the Tuesday edition. There's like, there's rules. It has to be equally prominent. So if they fucked you over, you get, you know, I mean, even then it's not really enough. I mean, all the people who saw it the first time might not be reading it when the retraction appears, but at least it's a better rule than, than we have where, I mean, and there's no retractions forthcoming here at all. I mean, I think this calls for the kind of mea multi full page mea culpas, high profile mea culpas that like the New York times published post Jason Blair uh, post um, uh, what's her name? Judy, uh, Ah, what's her name? Um, oh gosh, the, the Iraq, the Iraq woman. Uh, anyway, you know who I'm talking about. The writer at the at the New York Times who um, basically helped pimp the Iraq War uh, for Bush. And um, there's, um, I think you need that. I mean, uh, this is they they promoted this story for years. Oh yeah, they still are. It's. Hundreds of thousands of millions of tens of millions of words have been spilled on this. And it's all bullshit. I mean, media has to take responsibility. There has to be an accounting. Heads should roll. People should be fired. Well, and like I said, I mean, that the, the George Bush letter, um, Dan rather lost his job. But they were also looking for a reason to jettison him anyway at that point of his That's true. long career. Um but CBS News is still never retracted. You still never have apologies. You still have, you know, I'm trying to think like Newsweek. Judith Miller, Judy Miller. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You brought up the uh, Hitler, um, the, the Hitler diaries. Um, Newsweek, I don't know that they had a story saying it was fake. 
and discovering his fake, but they never, there was never that Maricopa, Mayacopa moment. See, and the I, thing is, it's like, think, it's like, the, here's the thing is, this stuff was never sourced properly, right? I mean, you know, if your mom loves you, check it out. They didn't check it out. They well, didn't they, check. If they had, this wouldn't have happened. Well, and then my liberal friends come out and, and I know yours do too. What about Benghazi? I mean, they drag that out and, and they've never apologized for that. I'm thinking there's nothing to apologize for. Benghazi actually happened. Yes. You know, American ambassador, you know, dead. As were, and, and a number of other people as well. And the, and the consulate burned to the ground, right? Yeah. And I mean, there was clearly a real, there was clearly um, an issue there to say that there was, I mean, look, the, the, the consulate, the the dead consul repeatedly asked for more security and didn't get it from Secretary of State Clinton. Uh, yeah, I mean, at bare minimum, an inquiry is called for. Yeah, and so they continually, and some of the people on the left, say, "Well, look, there's so much," and this makes me crazy because it's like debating a five year old. Well, what about blah blah blah? And it's like you know, we're not talking about blah blah blah. Right. At the moment. We can talk we're about talking- that later. Yeah. Yes, but we're talking about, you know, the dossier, the steel dossier now, which apparently has come to- totally unraveled. Um, I was working with people at the Chicago Tribune uh, and some people I really respected who just really went all in on the Russia story. Now, oh, yeah, I know a lot of people who still believe it. I, now, where it stands now, is there any validity to any of it? Well, so well, even Eric Wemple is kind of like, well, there still could be validity. Well, OK, well, there Eric, could be anything. Where? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, uh, look, the thing is, it's the scientific method, right? It's like if there's no evidence to support the, ex- the existence of something being true, then there's no, then you can't say that there is. And um, this all came out of it. I mean, literally, now we're back to the one hundred thousand dollars in Facebook ads run by you know a non-Russian government affiliated private troll farm that ran just as many ads in favor of Hillary Clinton. I'm sorry, in a $7 billion election, I don't think like $20,000 worth of Facebook ads, you know, gave Donald Trump the presidency. I don't think anyone thinks that. Um, well, well, they think that they're just be wrong. A lot of them who do who still do. It's just, yeah. well, they shouldn't uh, think that. They're the not thinking that, it. Yep. They're farting it out. I think the fact that the Democrats fucked over Bernie Sanders and then ran a terrible candidate had something to do with the result of 2016. I could be wrong on this. That that could be. And of course, uh, the Electoral College played its role. So newspapers, you talked about, and I just want to talk about this real quick, and then we'll wrap it up because I want to get to anti-slap of which you are an expert and, uh, and a victim. And there's more breaking news on that. Um, on, uh, on, on the dossier issue, I mean, and on American journalism in general, I mean, I have to believe that much of this is, is now the fault of, because it's the, the industry has been under assault. It's been jettisoning personnel like crazy. For, we don't for, dec- have, for really for decades. Yeah, it has. Actually, you're right. You're absolutely right. And so there's no people in place. Usually, let me put this here. When I started in the business, you handed in the story. I'm a young reporter. I've just covered a fire down on Main Street. I hand in the story. That story went through three, minimum of three editors, the copy editor to make sure, sure that um, and then, you know, then the metro editor or the city editor or whoever your section departmental editor, editor. Yeah. Yeah. And it went to one more, just say, okay, well, the, and they checked off. So you ha- now, and then, it, and then it might go to some Uber editor, right? Like if it was a bigger story, right. If it was, if it turns out that the mayor set the fire then, or you have evidence of that, then, you know, yeah, then, then it goes through the more channels, but now you, I can tell you for a fact that a number of newspapers, again, air quotes, Around the country, young reporters, unex- inexperienced reporters, reporters in their you know in their early twenties, and there's nothing wrong with being in your early twenties, but that's when you should be learning the trade, not being at the top of it. Yeah, you should be at the Tuscaloosa da- Daily Herald, not the Chicago yeah. Tribune. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there's, I mean, I, I can't believe there are literally employees, and, and people are going to say I'm a sexist here, but I mean, not sexist and ageist, but but there are employees at the New York Times who are under thirty. What? Oh, Chicago Tribune. When I, by the time I um, transitioned to my freelance role, now we were—they were hiring kids out of college, directly out of college, to yes. cover your beats, like like the that's like fucking insane. Yeah, it is nuts, and that's what—and so we're getting what we get. And I mean, that's—I know that's a brilliant thing to say, but well, you we get what getting, you pay for, right? I mean, exactly. You underpay these guys; they work their asses off, and then you. So there are Ted. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there are some newspapers. A lot of newspapers. I can tell. I can 
uh, AL.com, for instance, here in Alabama, you c- the reporter, the 20 something reporter can file from their phone directly to the website. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that- so, I mean, really, for those of you listening, digest this mentally for just a moment. Young person goes to a story, non-vetted from their phone, and it goes out into the ether on their on the official website of um, what House newspapers. Could go wrong. <laughs> Everyone was surprised. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just I mean, just think about it. Just like as a just for example, let's just say the guy's a joker and decides, hey, uh, I've decided to get out of journalism. I'm going out with a bang. I've decided to just buy a van and drive across Africa. Well, it's like, so my for my last story, it's like, you know, nation at war, you know, like Martians invade. I mean, you no. know, it could, I mean, it's ridiculous. One of my favorite lines, which no one remembers from the Mary Tyler Moore show, uh, Lou, the Lou Grant character that we talked about. I, I, I just, because I love this line. He's talking about being a young reporter. They're having drinks in his office after hours. And he's just talking about, I was a young reporter in Southern Kansas and, and the story came across the wires. December 7th, 1941. I was the only one there. I was, I got the job because it was, you know, early morning Sunday and I had to make a snap decision and I made it. So that paper rolled off the presses out just an hour later and said, Japan invades San Diego. (laughs) (laughs) It was, and that's why you need to have a vetting system in our news organizations. Yeah. Well, I mean, (laughs) I mean, otherwise, look, honestly, at that point, it's not, look, it's not a new, it's not a news organization. It's a blog. Let's leave it at that. We're coming. We're going to come up next. Our next segment. Ted's going to talk about anti-slap, the LA Times, and um, you know, there's some breaking news there and how another person got. Oh, what's that called? Oh, fucked there's by that. the system. You're listening to the DMZ America podcast. I'm Scott Standis with Ted Rawl, and we'll be back right after this. Hey, so this is the third and most exciting segment. Well, maybe the fourth one will be the most. I don't know. The third. I'm glad. If you stuck this far, thank you for doing that. You're listening to DMT America. I'm Ted Rawl, and I'm here with Scott Stantis. I didn't even cue you, and you need to do new to do that. Yes, like a well, true professional. I am. <laughs> always a pleasure. Uh, if I don't die of COVID, uh, I will oh, always yeah. remember the, this. Yeah, if any of you are just, well, if you're listening to this, you know that Ted is going to go get tested in a, in a few But it's minutes. probably just like a, you know, one of those like, oh, what what a wimp. He's just had a cold or something. But No, you're scared because, I mean, here's the thing. I think you had it. But what you were, out so in, you were out in Hollywood in January of 2000. No, no. November, December of 20, December. 19. 19. Yeah. No, and you called and you sounded like death. And I know you said you felt like Death. Oh, it and was unbelievable. You had COVID. I am convinced to my marrow. Me too. And so, yeah, I mean, and if you've had it and you had a bad case of it, Ted had a bad Which case you of have. It, I had a very bad case of it. Uh, you're scared shitless. Every time you have yeah. a sniffle or a cough, you go, oh. That's why I'm on team Vax. <laughs> like, oh, well, me too. Like, yeah. If, too. Like, look, if you've, yeah, it's real and it's, it's really fucking bad. I mean, like, I, if you told me, Scott, that this vaccine would kill me in five years, I would still get it because I don't think I could survive another. No. Well, that's the, that's the point. Is I almost didn't survive the first one. So going through it again would be like, oh, no. I'm not like, gonna, I just don't want to do that. Curtains. Yeah, I would just, yeah, then I would just drive into the Coosa River. So, this, so we have some, um, okay, so this is a story I think deserves some attention. Um, a former contestant on Donald Trump's TV show, The Apprentice, whose name is Summer Zervos, Z-E-R-V-O-S, uh, has just been forced to drop her lawsuit, her defamation and libel lawsuit against the former president, 
Um, what happened was that uh, in 2007, when she was on the show, according to her, Trump uh, tried to kiss her and groped her. Uh, I don't know more, you know, like more than that. And uh, so anyway, in uh 2007, when he she made that accusation, sorry, in 2017, um, she had made that accusation, Trump, uh, I don't know if he said it or if he did it on Twitter, but anyway, he called her allegations lies and uh, retweeted a post calling her claim a hoax. And uh, so she, she sued for defamation. This is exactly what Stormy Daniels did also. Uh, and uh, due to uh, the anti-slap statute, she has just been forced to uh, drop her claim. I think this is a really important issue, and obviously it's personal to me, Scott. As yeah. Well. Explain to the listeners what anti-slap is. Okay, so SLAP stands for Strategic Lawsuit Against Public Participation. And the legal theory behind it um, is that there are lawsuits that are filed particularly by corporations and real estate developers against local individuals, community activists, uh, anti-development type people, not in order to win, but simply in order to fuck with the person, tie them up in court, force them to pay legal fees. A classic example of what a slap lo um, lawsuit looks like would be when the, uh, the beef industry in Texas sued Oprah Winfrey for quote unquote defaming beef because she said she it was during a one of the pink slime uh, controversy and she said she would never eat beef. So the beef industry sued her. Um, two points on that. Uh, look, Oprah Winfrey was certainly able to defend herself legally uh, without having to avail herself of any special law. But more to the point, anti-slap is you know, the, the theory is you have to be able to get rid of a frivolous lawsuit easily. Well, you can. It's called summary motion for dismissal. Uh, it's the first thing that any defense lawyer in a civil claim will do. It's like they will go to the courthouse on the very first hearing and file uh, a motion for summary judgment. They'll say, Your Honor, this case is frivolous. Please toss it right here, right now. Um, I have done that and it has worked. Uh, it is. It happens every single day. You don't need any extra thing to do it. This is the way to get rid of a frivolous lawsuit. Um, but anyway, um, ignoring that, the California state legislature became the first state in the union. Now there's about 26, 27, 28 states, something like that, uh, that have an anti-slap statute. Two states, um, many, I think Minnesota, and I should say the District and the District of Columbia have both tossed their anti-slap statutes as uh, frivolous and uh, sorry, as anti-constitutional because it violates your right to a jury. Well, yeah, yeah. So, so what happens in an anti-slap statute? So, so here, here's what happened. I'll just use this example. Right? right. You have you have a personal example here. So okay, I could use my personal example. So what happened here with with Ms. Zervos is that she's the plaintiff. Uh, Trump's defense attorneys filed an anti-slap against her. And what that did is it stayed all discovery. She wasn't able to depose anyone or, or subpoena any uh, documents uh, in her case. Everything freezes. And then the judge, not a jury, but the judge in the case uh, tries to determine whether there's a bare minimum of uh, viability to the lawsuit. And if so, it should move forward. And if not, it, uh, it gets tossed and Trump's wins his attorney's fees, which is what has happened here. Trump also got rid of Stormy Daniels' lawsuit the same way. And Stormy Daniels had to pay Trump's uh, attorney's fee fees to the tunes of six figures, um, even though almost certainly he was would have been guilty. The problem with anti-slap is not really the theory behind it. It's the way it's applied. In reality, the judges are supposed to just say, is is this thing barely, possibly, theoretically viable? And then let it move on if it is. But in reality, they toss lots of claims that if they went to a jury would be, would be found uh, by a jury to be uh, actionable. So when I sued the LA Times um, for defamation, when they libeled me, um, and there's kind of like no doubt that they libeled me. I mean, the, you know, they even kind of admitted it in court. Um, they, um, the LA Times filed an anti-slap motion against me. Uh, 
And they ended up getting uh, uh, judgments against me for over a million dollars in attorney's fees. Now, the thing is, when I interviewed my possible attorneys all over the city of Los Angeles, every attorney told me, look, if this gets in front of a jury, you're going to win. Black jury, white jury, you know, Asian jury, doesn't matter, um, you know, conservative jury, liberal jury, everyone's going to hate what they did to you uh, as a favor to the LAPD, which at that time owned their parents' company. Um, the, um, but the, the thing is that the judges don't follow the law. So, and that's clearly what happened here. I mean, I think, I mean, is there some chance that Zervos could have prevailed? Of course there is. And it should have been allowed to go forward. And the thing is that it, I mean, I would, th the problem with this is I'm like me, basically the only public figure <laughs> to the extent that I'm a public figure who who is against the anti-slap statute. I mean, liberals are in favor of it. Conservatives are in favor of it. Corporations are in favor of it. I mean, uh, you know, what's his name? Uh, oh, Jesus Christ. Um, uh, was it John Stewart? No, no, it's the other one, the little short one, uh, the British one. You know who I'm talking oh, about. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, Oliver. John, yeah, John Oliver did a whole... A 20 minute segment in favor of the anti slap law and how important it was when I contacted his people to say, look, there's another side to this. And the people of, like, for example, Richard Simmons, the iconic um, fitness guru, oh. um, he got screwed over. He, he's the National Enquirer published a cover story where they photoshopped a, a picture of him in a dress and said that he was transitioning to become a woman. It wasn't true. They made it up completely. And you know, the same lawyer who represents the LA Times filed an anti-slap against him. And Richard Simmons has to pay the National Enquirer a hundred and something, $50,000 or something like that for the privilege of having been defamed by the National Enquirer. So how are these, how are these, or, and you, you mentioned that they're desperately different. I mean, how, how do they justify anti-slap? Because anti-slap is clearly in position to defend moneyed interests, right? I mean, this is where it you is. and I are going to agree for very different reasons on something like this. I hate it because it's the interference of the state in an, in an organic uh, drive for justice by somebody to defend the moneyed and the powerful. And you, you, I'm going to guess that you're against it because, well, you got fucked over by it, firstly. <laughs> and second- and I, and, I and I studied up. I mean, look, I can compartmentalize enough to, to recognize that just because something's not good for me, it might be good for society. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think what's going on here is that it's a, uh, it's a law that has been marketed as a way to defend small time individuals, but it's been completely turned on its head. One of my yeah. attorneys, Jeff Lewis, um, he came to me as a staunch advocate of the anti-slap law. Um, really? He, he thought it was a really good thing. Wow. In the course of studying my case and working on it, he he changed his mind and and was getting ready, was preparing, I don't know if he has, to write a uh, an article for a legal review calling for its reversal or its reform. Because, I mean, I think it's, you know, you can challenge a law based on constitutionality per se, or you can, you can challenge it based on constitutionality as applied. And I think it's the latter issue here. The problem is that it's, it's as applied, the law isn't working. It's if you, you know, in case after case after case, you'll see people who really should have allowed, been allowed to have their case move forward. And they, they weren't because judges are gonna judge. They're not supposed to actually try the case or judge the facts. They're just supposed to assess it the way I said, but <clears throat> it's been marketed as a way to, and, I, and look, small time defendants have used it to, keep big corporations off their back. There's no doubt it has worked the way it's been intended in some cases. That's why people like uh, former uh, Clinton Labor Secretary Robert Reich, who's a well-known liberal, um, is in favor of it. But what they're not getting is you can't, in a, under American law, you can't create different classes of defendants and plaintiffs. There's So a corporation has the same rights as an individual. So if you create a, lot, a right for, a, for an individual, that a corporation has that right too. And because they have deep pockets, they're gonna abuse that right. 
so it's, I think the thing is, legislatures are spreading this. Um, outgoing Governor Mario, uh, sorry, Andrew Cuomo recently just signed an anti-slap law for New York State. I mean, this thing is spreading like a fucking virus. And most well, people listening to us now are live in a state with an anti-slap law. And the fact is that there's big money behind it. I mean, it, it's one of those things, that, I mean, that the intent of the legislation was probably to help defend the little guy. But what happened was shockingly, Ted, I know are you sitting down big, big moneyed interests jumped in. So, Oh, we can take advantage of this and use it to defend us at bare minimum. That's what happened, Scott. I mean, yeah. un- it's also possible that this was a sneaky thing engineered by wealthy interests in the first place. And they were like, we'll sell this as a way to help small time individuals. Right. So if you see this in your in your legislature, I mean, this is I mean, it sounds like a small thing. It sounds like a thing how I am never going to have to deal with this. You know, you really do hear and it. But guess what, people, you don't know when this is going to pop up. And if it does pop up in a you know major organization and you're going after them for you know, looking for some kind of recourse, you're fucked. You're right. Anti-slap is there to fuck you hard. It's true. And, I mean, you're right to. Um... Look, the right to a jury trial goes back to the Magna Carta, to the 13th century. And it has been silently taken away from you. And, you know, you're, you might care. I mean, most Americans at some point get, end up getting involved in, to, in civil litigation. And it's, you know, it, it could be, and, and libel and defamation is the one place where, look, there's a lot of frivolous lawsuits, but there's a lot of viable lawsuits that are basically being killed by anti slap Ted, I'm sorry to break in. I, I know this is, again, a podcast and you have breaking news, but this is, uh, we were in an earlier segment talking about the uh, Kyle Rittenhouse case. Uh, the judge has just ruled that the underage weapons charge is dismissed. Okay, well, that that seemed to me like the uh, strongest uh, claim against this uh, charge. That was the one I thought they'd get him on, which is, you know, he pays a fine and has to pick up garbage in Kenosha. Yeah, for a couple of with weeks. With a pointy stick. Uh, this changes the nature of that. Wow. Okay, I just wanted to throw that out there and just say. Uh, yeah, he's this, probably going to walk then. Yeah, 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 he'll walk, and the streets of Kenosha are going to explode, such as the streets of Kenosha. <laughs> <laughs> the mean streets of Kenosha. So we should probably uh, talk before we go a little yeah. bit about. Biden's incredibly shrinking poll numbers. Uh, oh God, oh my God. Currently uh, approximately equivalent to herpes. Um, and Boris Yeltsin. Remember when he was, <laughs> he was down to 9% approval rating when he ran for re election? For a long time, Congress was at 10%. Well, what they're what they're, they're still around what twelve percent thirteen. Yeah, it's like the it's like the cable company or something like that. Yeah, but this is I mean this is his. We were talking during the break about how I've been talking to some, you know, my, my Democrat friends, and I was talking about the polls, and they said, well, was that before or after the infrastructure bill passed? I go, that doesn't matter. <laughs> Who cares? That yeah, really no, I mean, doesn't matter. Yeah, Scott, what do you think? Is, what, what, what do you think is the, is the reason that Biden is uh, tanking? I think there's a number I, I really believe, and you and I have talked about this a lot. Yeah. And you and I agree on this a lot. He's not in charge. Right. He's not it's, I think that's right. I think it's look, you and I are both students of of the president, American presidency. We love history. Yeah. Um, and I think first and foremost, um, Americans are looking for, you know, this sort of ephemeral quality leadership. Right. And, you know, the project which involves, among other things, a projection of strength and competence. I mean, strength and competence are probably the two things that the qualities that we look for in our presidents, right? Right. And uh, right. and that's not true in every country, but that's that's true here. And he doesn't do that. Biden can't. I mean, he's too fucking old. Um, he's yeah. doddering. He's a, he's you know, every time he gets through the ability uh, it's like he's able to read a speech or even answer a semi answer a question it's like you breathe a sigh of relief like, <laughs> yeah good job does. gramps and they do a lot of i mean this uh, you know i i say he doesn't do a lot of public events he goes, he's on the internet all over the place they're pre-written videos of him and how, how many takes i mean it's just one of those so i think the american people are right to to view this presidency with a lot of cynicism and yeah, going, I mean, he's, he's not, not in charge. And now they're looking at yeah. inflation. 
they're looking at, I mean, which is really, this is the funniest part. And how entitled are we, Ted? Really? The uh, supply chain story, which is like, oh my God, I order something from Amazon. I have to wait three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I think about like, you know, our grandparents, like my, <laughs> my, my, I think about my father waiting in the 1930s for his Schwinn bike to arrive in suburban Chicago from Dayton, Ohio, uh, you know, via from the, that he'd ordered from the Sears Roebuck catalog. Sears Roebuck catalog. And it took months. There was no, no, you know, who knew if and when it was ever going to come. Yeah. It would take six months or more. I mean, uh, when's it coming? Like you don't get no tracking number. No. I mean, I under and I understand, you know, the frustrations, and especially if you go to any grocery store now, it's remarkable uh, how much, how many empty, how much empty shelves there yeah, are. Yeah, but it's right not now. the Soviet Union. I mean, come on. No, it's not like we have must stand in line for three hours for bread. You Although know. I just tried to order some fresh direct here in Manhattan, and it's like, what do you mean? There's no elbow macaroni? Like what? Oh my God! How can that? <laughs> I, I, so that's for a whole different podcast is talk about that issue, but the interest, but going back to, so you've got that and you've got um, inflation, which by the way, a cartoonist on this podcast predicted in 2020 that we were going to have a pretty significant inflation once the pandemic. Yeah, you did. And I, I doubted that you were, you were totally right about that. Scott. Yeah. Be, well, it made sense because there, all of those forces are tamped down. We weren't having the regular social intercourse that, you know, societies do. So we were in the Biden stuff. administration and the Trump administration before then pumped a lot of money, trillions of dollars into the economy. So naturally, you know, it over it overheated. I mean, there wasn't well, much not just that, but the, 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 Yeah, but the, the demand now and now couple that with all these lazy bum millennials who don't want to work. And yeah, so supposedly. We have, so we went out to um, we went to go give blood yesterday. This is sound. I promise. I swear to God, it's not an ADD moment for Scott. We went to go. Uh, Janine's been getting, Janine has O positive blood, so they love her. And uh, by extension, I go and give blood too. Um, and and the, I was one of those, you know, mobile vans. And so you go in, and they're backed up, which is bizarre, Ted. I mean, it's just weird that the but the but you walk in, and there was a line, and it was two nurses where they should have had four. Uh, and so Amer I'm, my point is that Americans are, again, lack of service. You go to a restaurant, you've got yeah. one waiter for the whole place. Uh, you go to the grocery store and they don't have elbow macaroni, the bastards. Um, and if you do have elbow macaroni, it's, you know, the price is dollars a box. <laughs> do you have like guys in overcoats, like on an analogy <laughs> going, psst, psst. Hey buddy, buddy, <laughs> elbow macaroni, like bows, get some bows. <laughs> Uh, I think all of those. And so what you want is for the president to step up. Now, the president's role, frankly, is and just limited. communicate, just communicate or go out and just Talk go to. to a yeah, come or, you know, you can do photo opish stuff. Go to a grocery store and just hang out with don't pull a George H.W. Bush and say, ah, you can scan those now. Um, but Which, by the way, I think I think turned out to be uh, kind of like it wasn't really true that he hadn't seen one before. It was kind of like an unfair no, the technology had changed since he was in the store a little bit. And he was, oh, you can do this. Yeah, he wasn't now. really cool. completely out of touch the way that it was characterized. No, but I think it is a good question to ask politicians. How much does a, does a gallon of milk cost? I think it's a really legitimate and a politician should be able to answer that question. Um, so all of that, I'm sorry, I went on, went on a tear here, but all of those factors are coming into play. And what's weird is none of those, really, there's nothing that President Biden can do. Um, inflation. I mean, look at look at the late mid to late seventies when they were fighting that. Um, you know, President well, Ford you came look, out with the thing is you really the, the Fed could raise interest rates and that would do the job, but the problem is you have to you sort of have to assess what's more important: increasing employment or fighting inflation. And at this stage, the former is still more important. I mean, they you know we're we're still coming out. I mean, I don't know how it is there in Birmingham. But here in New York City, I mean, we are literally, I checked into this, only 30% of commercial uh, real estate is currently occupied, 30% in Manhattan, okay? Yeah. I mean, we're, real estate's the, the, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if it's tied, it's certainly one of the two, along with Wall Street, one of the two most important business sectors in New York City. Um, you know, I mean, 
it's devastating. So many stores are closed. They've got to get people back to work. And, you know, I, I, if they start sitting on the economy, they're gonna, we're going to tank and it's going to go into a depression. It's better to go to risk inflation than it is to risk a depression. You can have both. Don't forget, if you remember stagflation, stagflation. From, stagflation from the, I mean, that was, I mean, having lived through that and I was just yeah, a teenager, too. it was horrible. Yeah, it was bad. I mean, you know, I'm going to say, though, you know, who really fucking knew what he was doing was Richard Nixon, um, you know, with wage and price controls, you know, best no, socialist God. president oh, of my please. lifetime. No, 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 no. oh, they did not work. They, uh, my mom said they saved her life. Like literally sugar was like five dollars and 50 cents a bag. It's like she she thought we were going to starve. She was earning eighty five hundred dollars a year as a school teacher. It was 1973. Um you know, I mean, it was, it was bad. It was bad, but price controls, they, they, they can't work in the long run. I mean, they, these were short term. If, if for You those can of, ask current premier of Soviet Union if this is true. Oh, wait. <laughs> that vibrant bursting at the seams economy <laughs> the, of the former Soviet Union. So we didn't even talk about Belarusia or. Um, oh yeah. The Belarus thing. Yeah. We should, we should talk about Belarus or. Uh, what do we say? Versus Poland. What, what, no, you have to choose a side. Fuck the Poland. <laughs> fuck the Belarusians. Or actually, actually, it looks like they're both assholes, but you know, who knows? Yeah, they really are. And, but the Belarus has a dictator and, you know, and shoot and t- well, the forces Polish down guy one is of our authoritarian. He's like a Trumpy. Well, the whole Eastern European. I mean, how can we be surprised by this? I mean, given the history, who knew? Who could possibly know? That democracy did not take root <laughs> in the rich soil of the Eastern of Europe. Hungary. <laughs> I mean, really. who, who? Fascism? What? How did this happen? All right. Shall I, I'll, I think I'll take it out, Scott. All so, right. All right. Well, this was really fun. We should do it more often. Oh, wait, we will. Okay. So anyway, um, you've been listening to the DMZ America podcast with me, Ted Rall on the left. You can check out my shit at Rall.com, R-A-L-L.com. My latest book is called The Stringer with Pablo Calejo. You can order it through my website or at your local independent bookstore, or you can just steal it somewhere. It's an awesome book, by the way. It's a great story and very much what you wouldn't wouldn't expect from Ted Rawl, who does mostly nonfiction work. So this is your true. first major work of fiction, right? Um, yeah, that's true. It's awesome. It really is. So uh, buy it. Just just Thank don't you. even think. And, and Scott, where can everyone find the Scott Stantis lifestyle on the internet? <laughs> you can go to gocomics.com slash Scott Stantis, one word, or go to gocomics.com slash Prickly City, which is take you to my comic strip. Um, you can uh, go to, oh, wait, Counterpoint, subscription-based group of excellent editorial cartoonists, two of which are talking to you right now. So that's counterpoint.com. And uh, yeah, that's that, yeah, that covers all the bases. All right. I'm off to get tested for COVID. Oh, say a prayer for you, too. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bye, Scott. Bye, Ted.